Gimel Adar, Tafshin Pei Aleph, coming to you live from the offices of Ariel Tours. I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. These are the Days of Corona theme song of the Israel Show. Welcome one and all, welcome in to this week's edition of the Israel Show. My name is Mayor Weingarten, you're tuned to the Nachum Siegel Network. We are here each and every Monday immediately following JM in the AM and it translates to, let's see, let's try and figure this out. (laughs) 
9 a.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Israel time. And around the world, whatever time it is, wherever you are, that is, or wherever you are, whatever time it is, that is when we're on. Or you can listen to us on demand whenever you like. You can listen to us on demand via the Nachum Siegel Network app, go into the archives, and the same thing on NachumSiegel.com, just hit the archives. And, 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 and you can subscribe, and it would be great if you would, subscribe to the podcast of The Israel Show. You can go on to uh, any podcast site pretty much. Do a search for Mayor Weingarten. That's what it seems works best. M-E-I-R. And you can subscribe to the Israel Show. It'll automatically download within a day or so of the show. And it'll come right down into your device and you can listen whenever you want. Anyway, hope you do and hope tell your friends and family of the, to do the same. We have interesting stuff coming up on the show um, a few years ago, I know we've done this a few times, but uh, the last time was, um, uh, I think it was about uh, two years ago or so when uh, Adam Zartal passed away. We spoke about his discovery, uh, the archaeologist Adam Zartal, his discovery uh, on the slopes of Har Eval near Shechem of a Mizbeach. And after a tremendous amount of um, research, both by the archaeologists and by the Anshea Tanakh, led by Rav Yol Binun, they agreed that this is most probably, I mean, some would say 100%, some would say 99%, some, of course, who don't believe in the stories of the Tanakh say 0%, <laughs> but... Um, 99% that this is the Mizbeach that Yehoshua bin Nun built based on the commandment to uh, given by God to Moshe to Yehoshua and we'll discuss that a little later in the show the reason we're bringing it up again first of all it's always good to remind them I find that most people are floored when you tell them there is such a place in Israel that you well it's a little hard to visit for security reasons because it's right near Shechem but that there is this Mizbeach from the times of Yeshua bin Nun, it floors you. Uh, we're going to discuss it because last week the Palestinian Authority decided that it, they don't like the fact that there's, um, they, they never like archaeological excavations because they're always proving the uh, Jewish connection to the land of Israel and how ancient it is. So they started destroying part of the complex around the Mizbeach, not the Mizbeach itself, thank God. But there is no, you know, uh, no screaming, no yelling, no protest, nothing. Nobody's saying anything. Where's the you and cry that should be coming about from our, from our world saying, don't touch these items of historic nature, which... Um, just so happened to go against the Palestinian Arab narrative. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about um, the International Criminal Court and what changed recently. We mentioned it briefly in previous weeks, but we'll discuss it at greater length. And we'll follow up the story that we told you about in September of 2019 about the Iranian judoko Saeed Molai 
and um, the situation. This is this is the um, judo competitor on, on the highest levels in the world, who uh, was from Iran, and he was told by the Iranian government that he may not compete against Israeli, and of course, to everybody's luck, it turned out that he was to compete against Israeli in the semifinals, and he ended up forfeiting the game, uh, and thereby losing, the Israeli became the champion. This judoko ended up being so disillusioned and so upset that... um, he ended up leaving Iran. He um, abandoned his um, place of birth, so to speak, and is now competing under a different name. Under a different name? No, under a different country. And we'll tell you the follow-up to that story as well. So we have all that stuff and more and great music and looks like we'll be here past the one-hour mark, because, um, I mean, it's a sad reason. Yoni Pollock, our friend, lost his father last week. He's getting up from Shiva this morning. And uh, it is he who usually follows us at the end of our hour. And being that he will not be available, obviously, we will go over time like we did last week makes it a little easier on me, but of course those are not the reasons that you want these situations to come up. Anyway, more music. Yoni Genut with Colt Sofayich. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You are tuned to The Israel Show on the Nahum Siegel Network. Shen 
Yoni Genut with the cover of two great songs. The name of that song is officially Kult Zofayich. Off of uh, a collection called Nigun Yisraeli. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. I always find it fascinating that, um, I guess we should say, two generations after the Holocaust. The state of Israel, in addition to the miracle, I mean, that uh, goes without saying, I've said it many times, even though it goes without saying, I've said it many times, that the state of Israel has developed into a superpower on the international stage in many areas, and the military specifically is uh, one of those areas that Israel has become a superpower, including weapons, inven- inventions of weapons, uh, enhancements of weapons, production of weapons, and I, we're talking about high-tech weaponry, which uh, is coveted around the world, like Iron Dome, for example. Now, it's amazing, as uh, so many have put it, that people who there are still... Holocaust survivors amongst us who see how the Jewish people have gone from being powerless to being powerful. And it is clearly one of those things that you got to see as a miracle from the one above. 
the irony to me is that it's not only in the area of weapons and defense and self-defense for against other countries and armies but the the olympic sport that israelis are most present in and have made the most impression and have won the most medals is judo so it's fighting with your hands <laughs> it's we we as a people were always known as the weaker, the non-sportive, not by any fault of ours, but just because for 2,000 years we've been bandied about and been restricted in so many different ways that our our brain became our natural resource and it was always seen by the rabbis and others that the call called Yaakov and Yadayim Yiday Esav. But Yadayim, Yaakov needs to. And so I think it's with great pride the Israeli flag is raised all over the world, including in the Arab world, at judo tournaments, all the way up to the Olympics. And over this weekend, Israel is hosting for the first time the Judo Grand Slam. I'm not 100% sure what that means, but it doesn't matter. It's a world international tournament of Judo with high prestige. And, um, of course, many brought up the question of how they're allowing hundreds of <laughs> competitors and coaches and <laughs> doctors that come with and all these things. Uh, they're letting them in while they're keeping out Israeli citizens that are dying to come home. And it's a legitimate question, and uh, it's been answered by some, saying that the athletes are are being quarantined in uh, uh, hotels, and it's being uh, monitored by the Israeli uh, sports um you know, department and department of sports and uh, that they won't be allowed out other than going to and from the competitions. It's hard to imagine, but that was the decision that they made that once Israel is already hosting for the first time, for the first time ever, an international high-level tournament, they didn't want to uh, to cancel it, and hopefully they will be careful, and they will make sure that the athletes stay quarantined and so forth, other than going back and forth to the arena and to their thing. We'll, we'll see what happens. Anyway, why do I tell you this entire story? Well, part of the reason is because I have a lot of time today, but back on September the 2nd, 2019, it's like, I don't know how many months ago, about a year and a half ago, we read to you uh, at, on this very podcast the following story. The Iranian judoka who last week threw his semifinal match. He didn't throw the semifinal opponent. He threw the match. Why? So he would not have to face an Israeli competitor. Has fled to Berlin and says he will no longer compete for Iran. So this um, judoka, Said Molai. Uh, champion of Iran was competing in the 29 World Judo Champions Championships in Tokyo, and it turned out 
that he was going to face Sagimuki, who is uh, the Israeli champion. So first, the first time around when he was going to face him, he, he faked an injury so that he wouldn't have to face him. But this time there was no way to do that. And so he ended up just passing, which is not a very sportsmanlike thing. But his family in Iran was being threatened. In fact, the round before, he that's what it says, that he threw the semifinals, meaning the round before, he made sure to lose. And it says that Molai's mother reportedly called him from Iran moments before his semifinal fight against Belgium's Matthias Kasse and begged him to lose the round so that he would not have to fight the Israeli, bow to him, or stand next to him on the winner's platform. He's been accused, back in 2019 we say, he's been accused of faking injuries and intentionally losing judo matches in the past to avoid facing Israelis. So, um, he defected, in effect. Can you defect, in effect? He defected. He basically said, I love Iran very much, but winning a medal is the most important thing for me. You can imagine, if, after you've dedicated your entire life to doing that, you're told to lose on purpose. And he went on to compete under the neutral flag, or Olympic flag, whatever, the so-called refugee team. But then... Other countries accepted him. I don't know under whose flag he's um, competing today. I guess we could look it up on Google during the next song. But um, was it Malaysia? A country that didn't have a great judo team (laughs) took him in, and he's competing under their flag. And now for the first time ever, he comes to Israel to compete. In fact, he and Sagi Muki, the one he, he Sagi Muki is the guy's name. Sagi Muki, M U K I. So, uh, and that's the Israeli champion, and they became friends after this episode. So, uh, this reunion between the two is very nice, and the fact that he is now in Israel uh, was welcomed to as as big of a welcome as as you could give during Corona. Um, but is big item in the news in Israel, and, and it's great, and it's great. Kolokavot to him. Um, he was principled enough to say, I'm not ready to do this anymore. He wanted to win. He, w- he wanted to be able to fight and not have to uh, kowtow to the Iranians' mishagas of, um, uh, of uh, throwing a fight or faking an injury and and so forth. So, uh, welcome to Israel. Welcome to Israel, uh, Saeed Molai. And we wish you uh, much success. We hope that Israeli wins, but we wish you much success after that. <laughs> From number two and on. Shlomo Artsy, Ratzinu Rak Lashir. All we wanted to do is sing, for heaven's sakes. What are we going through? By the way, the numbers in Israel, unless they're all fake, seem to be uh, doing well. And the fact that over 3 million people have had two vaccinations already, uh, therefore are, are, are fully, um, should be fully uh, able to operate in a normal fashion is a big deal. And the graph shows that the numbers are going down drastically. And let's uh, continue hoping and praying that slowly but surely 
things will start becoming normal again, whatever that means. Shlomo Arsi, Ratzinu Rak Lashir. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You are tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Politikaim ushatim tamid mitchalfim. Achaverim amitim la netzach loit
שלמה ארצי, רצינו רק לשיר. All we want to do is sing. Fine with me, I'm with you. Um, we did check during the musical interlude, we checked to see which country, which flag is Said Mulai competing under at the Judo Grand Slam in Israel, and the answer is Mongolia. Mongolia, yes. The board is yours. <laughs> um, and I always say, if you're you know, in a situation where you're slowly losing your memory, this is the generation to, to, to be... To, that, to do it, you know, because you don't know something, just look it up in Google. Oh, what's the name of that song? Oh, it's, this guy sings it and has the words, that, that's enough, that's enough, go to your Google and you'll know the answer right away. Did I say, uh, my, did I do the outro? My name is Mayor Weingarten, you're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. We mentioned that Yoni Pollock usually follows us with uh, the sports show after further review, uh, is getting up from Shiva um, today. His father passed away last week. Um, if you want to send condolences, you can email him, Yoni, Y-O-N-I, at NachumSiegel.com. Yoni, Y-O-N-I, at NachumSiegel.com. So, coming up soon, we'll talk about the Mizbeach that Yehoshua bin Nun built and the Palestinians are trying to destroy. Yeshua bin Nun built, Mahmoud Abbas destroyed. No, he didn't destroy it yet, thank God. But uh, they'd like to, and they took a little bite from the area, and maybe that was a, a test, a trial balloon, as they say, to see how Israel will respond. And we're not responding well. We'll talk about that soon. Now I want to tell you a little bit about the International Criminal Court. It's, it's a joke. The International Criminal Court is a joke. But a joke could be funny and entertaining. This joke is not funny and not entertaining, but it's very damaging. I'm going to read to you parts of an article by an amazing advocate for Israel by the name of Melanie Phillips. She's a British journalist, broadcaster, author, and she writes a weekly column for the Jewish News Service, JNS, S like Sam at the end. And she's also a columnist for the Times of London. She's written several books, which I'm sure you can find on... uh, on Amazon, if you like. Melanie Phillips, M-E-L-A-N-I-E Phillips, an advocate for Israel like you can't imagine, really. Just fantastic. And she writes, the legal and moral illiteracy, (laughs) legal and moral illiteracy, of the International Criminal Court, the ICC's ruling, is not a temporary blip and in a minute she'll describe what the ruling is. It follows from the campaign that lies at the very core of liberal universalist beliefs to negate 
the authority of the sovereign nation of Israel. What she's explaining is that there is, I mean, she doesn't go into the detail, but I have more time, so I can do that. Um, There is a movement all over the world, a radical movement, to do away with nations. We're all people. There's no such thing as a nation. No such thing as borders. No such thing as an official language, a flag. All that stuff is out. And that's what's going on in America today by the radical leftists. Open the borders. Let the Mexicans, let everybody in. Let millions and millions of people come in. Why, why shouldn't they come in? They're people. Why don't they deserve to live here? We live here. Why shouldn't they live here? There's no borders. There's no na- nation. What could be illegal? There's no illegal aliens. They're just undocumented workers. That's the universalism. Now, the EU, the European Union, was an experiment, or is an experiment, of that nature. No borders. European Union, you just, you're a member, you're, uh, you have a passport, you're from one of the countries in the European Union, you can go anywhere. There are no borders anymore. You can drive from one place to another. Well, now they're, now they're learning to, 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 to understand. They're starting to understand what that means. They're starting to understand what that when one country lets in 100,000 Muslim refugees, that those refugees can end up in every other country and not assimilate. And the forces of the leftists say, that's fine. Why should they assimilate? Why should they take on the culture and the principles and the values of us. Let them abide by their own values. Let them blow up people. What do we care? That is what she means when she says the liberal universalist belief. And by the way, Israel uh, Israel is one of the biggest enemies of this international leftist movement. Because Israel declares itself as the nation-state of the Jewish people. So it goes against all of their ideas and concepts. Israel puts up a fence to, to keep out people that are trying to get in illegally. But the Israeli courts, who align themselves mainly with the leftists, want to undo it. So anytime any legislation to work out a, a, a resolution to the problem of those who did in, infiltrate Israel and who are creating tremendous damage to the people of southern Tel Aviv, anytime there's some arrangement, law, etc., the high court just says, oh no, it's illegal, Israel's uh, bagats, and uh, therefore they follow in that idea of well, we're not a nation-state of the Jewish people, necessarily. We're a state of all the people that live here. Anyway, that was a little side note. Back to the article by Melanie Phillips about the International Criminal Court. It's hard to exaggerate, she writes, the hypocrisy, malice, and sheer absurdity of the decision by the ICC last week that the Palestinian Arabs have the authority of a state to bring a case against Israelis for war crimes. This is the Olam Hafuch, the Olam Sheker that we live in. Can you imagine 
the Palestinian Authority is going to complain to the International Criminal Court that Israel is committing war crimes. <laughs> and the ruling that she's discussing is that the ICC accepted the concept that the Palestinian Authority is a state and therefore will have the standing of a state and um, and as such can uh, accuse individuals from Israel of war crimes. The 60-page ruling, she continues, piled nonsense upon malevolence. I love that line. Piled nonsense upon malevolence. It cons- constituted the response to a question posed by the ICC's chief prosecutor, Fatou Bensoda, who wanted a green light for the criminal investigation of Israel and the Palestinians that she announced in 2019. This is not a big friend of Israel, by the way. This was to cover war crimes allegedly committed during Operation Protective Edge, Israel's military operation in Gaza in 2014. Remember the Goldstone report? I think that was about the same operation. Oh, it's already been investigated. And Goldstone admitted that his report was not true and that Israel did not commit war crimes. And also, they want to entertain the war crimes of Israeli settlement policy and Israel's response to rioting at the Gaza border. Yeah, that's going to be a fair trial. The ICC tries individuals rather than countries. And although the Palestinians are also in the frame, meaning this supposedly the trial would be against certain Israelis who participated in what they say is war crimes, and certain Palestinians, like Hamas members who participated, but you know that would never, second one would never happen. It's obvious that its principal target would be the Israelis. When it's, it, 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 She's explaining that it's not like the Palestinian Arabs or the PA are accusing Israel of war crimes. You you have to accuse a person. So they'll let's say the Ramakala at the time was Benny Gantz, name we're very familiar with now. They'll say Benny Gantz should be held on trial for war crimes. Now we all know that it's you know it, it it's a done deal. It's it's a mock trial almost, right? It's make believe. So can you imagine they find Benny Gantz guilty of war crimes and say that he has to sit in prison while the rest of the world, uh, Iran and all the other great countries of freedom and ethics, Pakistan, China, North Korea. That's what makes it anti-Semitic because it's only targeting Israel. And by the way, that would mean that all the people that might have a um, suit pending against them in this international court really would have a problem leaving Israel because uh, the countries that they go to would end up um, cooperating, possibly. Continue, continues Melanie Phillips, the court's purpose as set out in its charter is to deal with human rights abusers in countries lacking the will or capacity to bring its people to justice. Given that Israel virtually sanctifies human rights and the rule of law, 
has a record second to none of bringing its own military miscreants to justice. And that its armed forces, Israel's armed forces, take more care than any other military in the world to protect the lives of enemy civilians, Ben Soda's planned investigation is a malicious twisting of the ICC foundational purposes. Since even she recognizes, the prosecutor, that there were legal doubts over whether she could bring charges, so therefore she asked the court to decide whether there was a state of Palestine in which the alleged war crimes occurred. If Palestine was not a state, the court would have no jurisdiction. By two to one, the court's pre-trial chamber ruled that, quote, Palestine qualifies as the state on the territory of which the conduct in question occurred. Okay, this is clearly absurd, she continues, since the state of Palestine doesn't exist. And even more absurdly, the court said it was not constitutionally competent to assess matters of statehood that would bind the international community. So if you are not constitutionally competent to do that, how can you now decide that Palestine, quote-unquote, is a state? But, of course, the answer is you can do anything when it comes to dissing Israel. Continues Melanie Phillips, dismissing the obvious fact that a sovereign state must have authority and jurisdiction over its own territory... It said what mattered instead was that the 2012, was the 2012 UN General Assembly resolution to accept Palestine, quote unquote, as a UN non-member observer state. Yet that resolution was merely a non-binding political statement that had no authority to create a legal entity. So there is no legal entity in the world called Palestine and therefore these supposed crimes that took place there cannot be brought to the criminal court, but nobody seems to really care. The judge, the one judge who dissented, was none other than the lead justice on that panel, Peter Kovacs. In his 154-page minority judgment, which will carry weight in the court's future dealings, he threw the book at his colleagues for acrobatics, quote-unquote, that had no legal basis in public international law. It's a kangaroo court. Come on. There's no, the, the rules don't matter. It's Israel. We can throw the rule book out the window. Now, uh, interesting that um, a number of countries that have signed up to be members of the court have begun to realize that if it can upend law and justice to persecute Israel, then it might turn on them as well. And therefore, accordingly, Germany, Austria, the Czech Republic, Hungary, Australia, Canada, Uganda, and Brazil last year petitioned the court against the proposed investigation of Israel on the grounds that the Palestinian Authority did not meet the definition of a state. Why did this come up now? I mean, we're talking about a war that took place in 2014. Why did this whole thing come up now? Interesting question, right? Okay. Continuing, Melanie Phillips. Like Israel, the United States has never signed up to international criminal court jurisdiction, which means that they're not part of this game. In 2016, 
after Ben Sauda launched an investigation into alleged war crimes by U.S. forces in Afghanistan, that same prosecutor that is now trying to go against Israel was trying to diss America. President, at the time, Donald Trump, imposed sanctions on Ben Sauda and her top aide, who faced having their American bank accounts frozen, U.S. visas revoked, and travel to America denied. Period. And guess what? It went away. Yeah, a lot of things we don't like about Donald Trump. But he broke this conspiracy of silence around the world, which allows this kind of nonsense to take place. And he called it for what it is, nonsense, and he used whatever tools he had at his disposal to fight it. Back to Melanie Phillips. Although, after last week's ruling, the Biden administration, what did they do? What action did they take? They voiced, quote, serious concerns, end quote, about the ICC's attempt to exercise its jurisdiction over Israelis, a similar, a similar uncompromising response from either America or Britain, which might now merely lobby for a more reasonable chief prosecutor, seems unlikely. And this is why this story is so important. So we understand that if the International Criminal Court will go after Israel, Donald Trump had our back. The Biden administration is ready to go out on a limb as far as voicing serious concerns. That's why it's an existential foe of Israel, the International Criminal Court, the principal target of some of the world's many human rights abusers who have grasped that international law provides them with a potent weapon. And these make common cause with American Democrats and the Western political establishment through their belief in liberal universalism. The doctrine that transnational institutions trump the authority of the national ones. Remember how Barack Obama wanted to follow the UN lead because that the world should come together to give direction rather than America using its power and the values that it stands for to do the right thing. The legal and moral illiteracy of the International Criminal Court's ruling is not a temporary blip, she warns. It follows from the campaign that lies at the very core of liberal universalist beliefs to negate the authority of sovereign nations. As early opponents of international law realized, however, only a sovereign nation can properly defend itself. Oh, how the Jewish people, I am saying now, oh, how the Jewish people have learned that lesson. And she continues, that's why Israel knows it must always rely only on itself. It's a lesson that many liberal Western politicians have yet to realize. And again, a decade and a a generation and a half after the Holocaust, if we don't realize that we only have ourselves to rely on, shame on us. Duty Frischmann or Davidi Frischmann, I think it's Duty Frischmann, joined by Yoni Genut. We debuted it on Tubishvat, beautiful new version of Shirata Asavin. It's called by a different name. It's called Nigun Miyuchad Mishalow, but it's the same words by Naomi Shemer with a new melody. Very haunting, very nice. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You are tuned 
to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
להביט לאחוריי, השביל פתוח לפניי. לא יכולתי לחכות, ערכו לי לילותיי. תן לי את היום הזה, תן לי את היום הזה. הגלה עוברת וקוראת אליי, בוא קרני השמש בעיניי, לימות הלב הם צעדיי. בואו, בואו, בואו אחריי, חפשו בחול את תקוותיי. יש לי את היום הזה, לא מעט הוא כי הרבה. עגלה עוברת וקוראת אליי, בואו My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. To uh, advise our affiliates, we're going over uh, our a lot of time because the uh, Yoni Pollock show is not going to be on 
uh, this week after further review due to the personal Avelut. He only lost his father. Um, and we wish him, as we did last week, Nichum Nechama Meashamayim for him and his family. Something that I uh, realized as I was reading the article about the criminal court, and I thank, by the way, I, I thank Moshe for a listener uh, for his comments, which I uh, basically said that uh, the International Criminal Court will have no standing to rule on this um, case because basically international law does not recognize Palestine as a state. So, as always, Moshe has some interesting comments and remarks, and we thank you, and you can comment and remark on the Nachum Siegel Network app, which says after further review, but it's uh, we're still on, and you can comment under there, and we'll see it. Um, one point, this is now non, not an Israel subject, but it's a uh, uh, journalism subject, if you will, a social networking subject. Uh, we know the censorship that has taken over the social networking world with Twitter and Facebook and Amazon and YouTube, which is owned by one of them, and so forth. Um, censoring, just censoring. They decide who is who is telling the truth and who isn't. They decide what's going to be considered false. So they decide to shut down the New York Post's uh, Twitter feed because they ran a a headline that they didn't like that was uh, unfavorable to um, to at the time candidate Biden uh, a story that turned out to be absolutely true we found out after the elections and so people are very very eager and anxious to find another place where they can turn to that they're not going to be worried about being boycotted and shut down and censored and so forth. And um, a site called substack.com, S-U-B, as in submarine, sub, stack, S-T-A-C-K, as in a stack of books, substack.com. What they do is they host people who have content who want their content to be read but not censored and people who are willing to pay a certain amount to get the content of a specific writer on a regular basis so you're basically subscribing to in this case let's say Melanie Phillips and you can read all of what she puts out you don't have to worry about it getting censored. And it obviously helps them because they get paid something for their writing. And hopefully they get a following which is independent of the big tech companies that have their own agenda that they want to um that they want to advance. Okay, we're gonna um go to music and then we'll come back and tell you all about the Mizbeach. Yes, an actual Mizbeach from the times of Yehoshua bin Nun that was discovered in Israel years ago.
and the attempt by the Palestinian Authority to create destruction, or not create destruction, but to destroy parts of this amazing archaeological discovery that so many people are not even aware of. So stay tuned for that. Here is Hanan Benari with Im Tirzi. My name is Maya Weingarten. You're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Yeah, I do 
קצץ כוכבים, טרפנו זה קליינשטיין, יום שלא יחזור, going back a uh, couple of years, before that, what did we have before that, in Tirzi, of course, חנן בן ארי, great video on that one, I love that, and on יום שלא יחזור, also a great video, so you can uh, check out the links to the YouTube videos of these and all the other songs that we play during the show on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash The Israel Show, facebook.com slash The Israel Show. And it helps us if you like the page, if you like our posts, just like, follow, just keep hitting like. Because of course you're going to like it. What are you going to do? You're not going to like it? Right? You know what I'm saying, right? The Mizbeach from the times of Yehoshua bin Nun, we promised you that. And the story begins 
in a kibbutz of Hashomer Hatzair, the farthest thing that you can imagine from a Mizbeach of Yehoshua bin Nun. Kibbutz Ein Shemer is where Adam Zartal was born in 1936. And he went through the usual kibbutz in those days, kibbutz uh, way. He studied economics, he studied agriculture, he was a, a very good writer and he wrote articles and, and I believe even a book. Um, he was in charge of the meshek of the kibbutz. He published in the Mapam Al Hamishmar. He participated in the Six Day War, and the outbreak of the Yom Kippur War in 1973, on Yom Kippur, obviously, he was um, on Shlichut in Africa. And when he heard about the outbreak of the war, he left and flew back to Israel and joined his Pluga, I guess, the group that he serves in, which was an engineering group. And he was involved, if you remember in the Yom Kippur War, if you remember, if you heard, if you learned, if you know about the story, at one point during the war, Israel tried to cross the Suez Canal towards Egypt in order to create uh, a block, a siege, if you will, around the Egyptian forces. First time it didn't succeed, the second time it did. And when he was on building this bridge, this long story, but building this bridge over the Suez Canal, it's like a very... Uh, quick built bridge it's like a pop-up sukkah so to speak it's a pop-up bridge Um, he was injured very very badly and he spent one year in the hospital as a result of the injury one year and the result of it is he could only walk with crutches he could not use his feet and he decided as he said to a reporter of the Jerusalem Post in one of the interviews, I spent a year at Hadassah Hospital in Jerusalem and I became interested in archaeology. Although I had argued that the Bible was full of myths, he comes from a totally secular, almost anti-religious, Shomer Atzair Kibbutz. They believe the Bible is a bunch of stories, myths that we believe as a people... Yet he decided after his recovery to travel the land by foot to look for archaeological evidence to see if there's any truth to what it says in the Bible, in the Tanakh. And his, his, his philosophy, his 
archaeological ideology was not to dig in the obvious place. You know, when you travel through Israel, you see something called a tell. Suddenly, out of the blue, there's this big mound, and you know that there is something underneath that. That's called a tell, like a small hill. So, that's the easiest thing to do, is to go to a tell and start digging. You know there's something underneath it. But he decided to crisscross the Shomron by foot. This man who couldn't walk without crutches was so dedicated and devoted, he walked, crisscrossing the Shomron, and made several discoveries, of which probably the most important and the best known is a structure which at the beginning he wasn't sure what it is. He thought it must be some sort of some sort of maybe religious location, religious place, religious structure, maybe a Mizbeach, maybe a something else. Couldn't tell. He consulted with a relatively young man that he knew who was both a Bible scholar, big time, but also an Orthodox Jew, a Talmud of Yehuda Cook, and someone with a very open mind and understanding to archaeology and science, and that is Harav Yorel Binun. And uh, over the weekend I was listening to some interviews with Adam Zartal and some Shiurim of Harav Yorel Binun about this issue. And Harav Yorel Binun goes to see the place, sees the sketches of the structure, and he says, this could be a Mizbeach, but I have certain questions. And he goes to try and analyze every one of these questions that came up. I'm not a big enough Talmud Chacham. <laughs> I'm not a Talmud Chacham at all. But I'm not a big enough in understanding these issues that I can just explain it to you. But I can tell you that there were certain things that weren't weren't in line with what we would have in the Mizbeach and the Beit HaMikdash and he came to the conclusion based on texts based on texts that we wouldn't have thought of previously that when a Mizbeach is built separately not as part of a temple not as part of a Beit HaMikdash that there are not the same rules as there are when a temple is when a Mizbeach is built with a Bet HaMikdash in Yerushalayim, or with a Mishkan in Shiloh, or with a Mishkan in the desert. Fascinating. And those rules applied here, because here, <coughs> excuse me, here, Yoshua Benun is building a Mizbeach. Now, why is Yoshua building a Mizbeach? And where is this Mizbeach? The Mizbeach is found on the slope of Har Eval. Not on the one facing Har Grizim, Har Grizim and Har Eval appear several times in Tanakh, in Chumash, and in the Nevi'im, in between Har Grizim and Har Eval Shechem. One who was looking for this Mizbeach, if one was looking for it, one would look, in theory, on the side of Har Eval, on the slope of Har Eval that faces Har Grizim. Because in there are other things in the context of 
the story of building this Mizbech that might lead you to believe so. But you have all checked it and checked it and checked it and checked it and discovered ultimately that there is no connection between Har Eval and Shechem and you didn't have to see Har Grizim from the Mizbeach and that it was uh, an appropriate place to build the Mizbeach because it was right on the path after crossing the Jordan. In Dvarim Chav Zayin, we read, <coughs> When you cross the Jordan into the land of Israel, these two big stones which uh, were previously referenced in the Psukim, that's one thing. And then, Uvanita Sham on Hareval, Mizbeach, Ladonai Elohecha, Mizbach Avanim, Lotanif Alehem Barzel. You then build a Mizbeach on Hareval, a Mizbeach of stone, uncut stone. You can't cut them with a knife or with anything. You can't use a pick to etch them. You just take stones that you find. You've got to find the right kind of stones that you can pile up on top of each other. And those are exactly the type of stones that make up this structure that Adam Zertal found. I think these Avanim are referring to the Avanim from before. So you're supposed to build this Mizbeach and rejoice before Hashem. That is what God tells Moses to tell Yehoshua in Devarim. And then in Yehoshua Parakhet, we are told that it was done. Az Yivne Yehoshua Mizbeach Adonai Elohei Yisrael Bahar Eval Kasher Tziva Moshe Eved Adonai Et Bnei Yisrael Kakatuv Besefer Torat Moshe Mizbach Avanim Shelemot Asher Lo Hinif Alehen Barzel Ve'alu Alav Olot Ladonai Vayizbechu Shelamim. So the the Nevi'im tell us the Sefer Nevi'im Sefer Yehoshua Parakhet towards the end, Lamed, Puzzle Lamed and on, tell us that Yoshua actually did this. He went and on Harival he built this Mizbeach. And so, after a lot of research by Rav Yol Ben-Nun and by the archaeologists and based on the pottery that was found at that level and based on what level of dig you know, they they can tell approximately the era that this um, structure is from based on a few things. One of them is the level of the dig, how far down you've gone. Plus, plus, the area was filled with bones of animals, young animals, male animals, only kosher animals. How do you like that? Only animals that were appropriate for a korban. Setamim ben shana, and so forth. The one animal 
which was found there, which we don't use for Korbanot in the Beit HaMikdash, a Yachmur, is a kosher animal, but is not listed for Korbanot, Revioral found that before the Beit HaMikdash was built, while Bamot was still Mutar, it was okay, and that was one of the Korbanot that was okay to bring, was the Yachmur. Everything fit in. Here is the Mizbeach, that Yehoshua bin Nun built, and they did carbon dating on the bones, and it turned out that it's 3,000 and some odd years old. This is, as Rav Yol says, I have no doubt that this is the Mizbeach of Yehoshua bin Nun, many others. Um, Rav Shirky <coughs> from Merkaz Harav and Machon Meir agrees. It's totally... Um, uh, 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 totally the Mizbeach of, of Yoshua bin Nun. Um, and Zev Erlich Jabba also is a expert in the in, in on the topography in the area, tour guide and so forth, who's done research. Who doesn't agree? The people who can't admit that they were wrong, who can't admit that the Bible actually is telling us a story that happened and we have evidence of it. And Adam Zartal, who passed away, as, as I mentioned to you, at the age of 79 in 2015, Adam Zartal was a big enough person to say, what can I do? I have to face the facts. It's not just a book of stories. At least some of these quote-unquote stories we now know are true because here it is. That's Mizbeach, which is mentioned twice, once in Chumash and once in Nevi'im, with specific where it is that it is supposed to to to, uh, to be built and how and what kind of stones and what kind of animals and it all fits in. And so he admitted he was wrong. He didn't become orthodox. Maybe he became a little traditional. But he had to admit that the idea of negating the Tanakh which so many archaeologists do is wrong and of course archaeologists who are on the anti-Tanakh side like Israel Finkelstein seems to be the most favorite uh, uh, um, most famous um, went against him and obviously found all kinds of reasons why to say it's not true he found other things, really other amazing uh, archaeological um, archaeological finds, and uh, said that he passed away. And um, at the age of seventy-nine, he had a few more years in him that he could have surely continued to do his great archaeological work. So the Palestinian Authority. Uh, one of the cities that is nearby released a video in which they show how they are taking stones not from the Mizbeach itself but from the from the surrounding uh, wall which is also ancient also par- possibly part of the same original um, uh, site and they took the stones and they ground them up into rubble to use under the the pavement 
of a, of a, of a road that they're paving nearby. And what's to stop them tomorrow from destroying the Mizbeach if the state of Israel will not take control? This Mizbeach is found in Area B, which is supposed to be, according to the Oslo agreements, under control of the Palestinian Authority. If Israel does not set up some sort of perimeter and set up some sort of regular... Um, guards this site will end up getting destroyed just like so much of Har Habayit those parts of Har Habayit where there was evidence of ancient stones that could go back to the Manbayit we shown and pieces of wood and so forth just like those are being destroyed on a regular basis by the Arabs and the government of Israel does nothing and that my friends that is very sad Okay, we're going to end off with um, Natan Goshen and Yishai Rebo with Nechakelacha. Let's see if... Um, yep. Um, second. Before we do that, before we end off with that song, we say thank you so much for listening. Thanks for all your Facebook likes and comments. Thanks to the staff of the Nachum Siegel Network. And my very special thanks, as always, to Nahum Siegel. Coming up in about a half an hour from now, Jake Novak with Novak Now discusses the wisdom of the crowds and why we need them now more than ever. Stay tuned. Jake is amazing. He's got amazing stuff, and you don't want to miss it. Coming up in about half hour, there'll be music in between on our stream. And then after Jake Novak the great Monday Music Marathon. Until next Monday, immediately following Jamie and the AM, this is Mayor Weingarten reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. Nope. They're just running in a different race. Thank 
Thank <laughs> you. 